Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in His love and truth. Now, let's join Pastor Bob as we study God's Word together. All right, let's thank the band, you guys. Woo! Awesome, awesome worship. A lot of darkness out there. So grab your Bibles, and uh, we're going to look at some passages in the second half of this prophecy update. If you need a Bible, our ushers are there in the aisles, and uh, happy to share a copy of God's Word with you. Great way to start the new year, get into God's Word. We talked about vision last time, 2020 vision, and... um, This weekend, we're talking about the oil. It's all about the oil in the second half of this prophecy update. So look at Matthew 24 with me. Matthew chapter 24, and then uh, if you want, throw something into Psalm 83, and we'll make our way to some Old Testament passages after uh, we've spent some time here in Matthew chapter 24. Probably gonna look at 24 and a little bit into chapter 25, It is certainly that passage where the disciples come to Jesus and they want to know what it's going to be like at the end of the age. Well, we're living in it. And here Jesus answers their questions. And some of the most amazing passages um, that would lead him then to ultimately the sacrifice that he makes, the suffering that he endures on behalf of the world where he becomes our atoning sacrifice. But here it's called the Olivet Discourse. It happens up on top of the Mount of Olives. They've been there several times. And it's always amazing to me that that's where they would huddle up together and they would ask Jesus these questions. For the sake of time, let's just sort of split it up a little bit. Look at Matthew 24, beginning in verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. Jesus, speaking to the disciples and answering their questions, says this. But of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. Took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. That's fascinating, you guys. He's tying in a taking of them away with the coming of the Son of Man. The taking with the coming, verse 40. And two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. He's speaking about the rapture right here. He goes on and he gives another illustration. Two women, verse 41, will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other will be left. It's a fascinating word in the Greek. Paralembano, paralembano. Say it with me, it's fun to say. Paralembano, para, with. Lembano, taken, taken with. Taken with, paralembano, taken with. It's amazing that it shows up in Scripture 50 times. 50. Penta. 50. Pentecost. 50. Pentecost. Holy Spirit. We're going to be caught up. We're going to be taken away, paralambano, to be with the Lord. That's the word that's used here. In fact, there's another place that's used where Jesus says in John chapter 14, 
Um, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come and I'm going to receive you unto myself that where I am you may be also. That also is a passage, a promise of end times fulfillment. And that word when he says, I'll receive you. Anyone, you want to guess? What's the word? Paralimbano. I will take you to be with me. And so here, two guys are in the field. One is taken. One's raptured. Two women are grinding at the mill. One's taken and the other is left. Luke adds a couple of other illustrations. You can look it up later if you want in a complimentary passage. But Matthew keeps going. Verse 42. Watch therefore, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. There's the word for us. Be ready. Ready, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. Let's be about our Father's business in these last days. Not dissuaded, not distracted, not half in and half out, all in. Like it says in Daniel, be about the king's business. How cool for us to be about it so doing that he would find us so doing when he returns. Verse 47, assuredly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. There's a blessing. There's a reward in store for remaining faithful and in the game. But, everyone say but. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, he's not coming, where is my master? And he begins to beat his fellow servant. Like that's crazy just thrown in there. Like, like just like goes to the extreme of saying, oh, he's not coming back, so I'm just gonna go beat the heck out of somebody. Why would it go to that extreme? Here's why. Because if you don't think God's coming back, then there isn't going to be any judgment. And you will just go ahead and live however you want to live. It's like this. It's like, oh, he's not coming back so I can get away with this and that and this and that. I'll beat my fellow servant and, and I'll eat and I'll drink and I'll, 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 I'll mess around. I'll, I'll, I'll screw up because, because, because there's no ramification. There's not going to be any judgment. He's not, he's not coming back. And the master of that servant, verse 50, will come on a day when he is not looking for him at an hour that he is not aware of and he will cut him in two. That word is... Um, in the Greek, it's literally the Greek word dichotomy. He's going to separate. We're going to separate. We're going to separate uh, believer from unbeliever. We're going to separate the, the wheat from the chaff. There's a harvest that's happening at the end of the age. We're going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's like, I'm going to separate. I'm going to cut him. It's, a, it's dichotomy into two. And appoint him in, in, to, in, to his portion with the hypocrites, he says here in verse 51. And there will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth. Now, those of us who grew up in the church, we're just going to immediately conclude with the end of verse 51 that he's talking about what? Hell. You just go, like, just go right to the, to the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. But maybe, maybe, maybe in the context of what he's talking about in verse 24 with the rapture that he's speaking of, that one's going to be taken, paralabano, and the other's going to be left. Maybe the one that's left is left for the period of the great tribulation. Where there will be, make no mistake about it, weeping and what? And gnashing 
of teeth. Maybe rather than the ultimate conclusion being referred to here at the end of verse 51, it is that period of time following the rapture where literally all hell begins to break loose on planet earth. Now what's interesting about where we are in scripture right now is the very next word. Don't be tripped up or confused or somehow um, you kind of lose your train of thought because of the the end of the chapter and the beginning of another one. I know sometimes in our devotions we're sort of like, oh, okay, well that's that that's that reading for today and I'll pick it up in the next chapter. No, there weren't chapter breaks when this was written and the next word, the next sentence, the next word is what? Say it. Then it's not changing the subject matter. In other words, in any way, shape or form, it is still talking in context about the rapture. It is talking about this period that Jesus is describing and explaining in answering the question of his disciples. Then he goes on, look at chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five of them were, were foolish. Now just pause there for a second. I know I've read a lot and there's like, there's like a, a lot going on in the passage that I have read. And last time, you know, I really tried hard last time, if you were with us last weekend, to sort of answer that age-old conundrum that a lot of people sort of like find revolving in their minds when you begin to talk about end times update. And I've even had people like interrupt me in the middle of a message and like, hey, are we here for this, right? And uh, it kind of gets a little bit interactive sometimes in the middle of this type of a of, of a message. And so the, the conundrum really on end times prophecy events is everybody wants to know what does this have to do with me? And the answer is everything. Everything has everything to do with you. And, and this illustration proves it that Jesus now shares with them. I mean, it brings us right into the story. Like, who are we in the story? And he's like, five of them are, are wise and five of them are foolish. Now, he goes on, look at verse three. And those who were foolish took their lamps and they took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, see that's that same topic and same context earlier in chapter 24, right there about verse 48 that we had seen earlier. Same thing, while the bridegroom was delayed, they all fell asleep. Nobody falling asleep right now, okay? Stay with me. And at midnight, a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And all the virgins, they arose and they trimmed their laps. But the foolish one said to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil. For our lamps are going out. I wonder who we are in the story. I wonder who will be in the story, gang. I wonder what God is saying to us right now. Let your heart be open to what the Spirit of God, ears open, hearts open to what He is saying. Look what happens. Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And why they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. A reference also earlier in context to the door of the ark of Noah being shut. This door also shut. Verse 11, afterwards, 
the other virgins came saying, Lord, hey, Lord, open the door, open to us. And he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore. Watch therefore. It's the same context, same subject matter. A lot of people want to parse this out and say, well, that doesn't have to do with this or that doesn't have to do with that. Watch therefore. Say it with me. Say it out loud. For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. This, this Star Wars thing is fascinating to me. Because now for like, I don't know, how many decades has it been, you guys? Like 50 years. Every decade there's like this new resurgence of a following of the Star Wars characters in this latest movie that's out and I haven't seen it but my boys loved it and I can remember in one of the earlier episodes what do they do they find this droid you know I kind of feel like this right now they find this droid and they're like dusting him off and trying to put him back together and and, and then he he um, this droid portrays this image on the on the screen, and it's, it's Princess Leia, which I am not. She's in the children's ministry. But, but that message is, is help. It's a message, actually, that she delivers to, to Obi-Wan Kenobi. You remember that? And you're our only hope. And that's so much so much of what I sense here in the heart of Jesus as he's sharing these stories and answering these questions that the disciples have with them up there on the Mount of Olives. It's the same heart that Moses had. The same heart that we saw last time in Deuteronomy. Do you remember that passage? We looked at like 40 some odd verses from Deuteronomy as he prophetically speaks not so much over the people that are crossing over right then, but the ones that would then follow in their footsteps as to whether or not they will cross over or whether or not they will be left behind. The heart of Jesus is concerning in the sense of wondering whether or not you and your family and your loved ones are going to cross over or be left in the wilderness. And so last time I told you we'd look at these groups and there's more than one. These groups that won't be a part of this rapture, this rapture that's being discussed and spoken of here, you're like, oh, I don't know about the rapture, Bob. Rapture is not even a word that's in Scripture. Do you know what? You're right. But neither is the word Trinity. And we all believe in that, right? You all into that? Um, the word millennium is not in Scripture. We're all banking on that one too. So I wouldn't discard it because you don't seem to find it because it is referred to and spoken of so many times. So who doesn't go? Obviously, here's a couple that I'll throw on the screen for you. Number one, the unbelieving unbelievers. Jot this down if you're a note taker. Obviously, these are not getting in. They never did believe. They never would believe. They never will believe. You know them. You're probably working with them. Maybe you're living with them. Maybe there's actually some, breaks my heart to say it, on your behalf and mine as well, still in our families, in our family units, whether it's immediate or, or, or you know, our, our extended families. You, you still have people that are digging in their heels, and they are the unbelieving unbelievers. They are, they are mocking you for being at church this weekend. They are scoffing. They are in complete denial they are they they are the deniers and and they're they're not going to be obviously clearly you can put that one down as a no-brainer they're going to miss out on the rapture that Jesus is discussing in Matthew chapter 24 but there's a second group 
unbelieving believers. Now, I need you to put your seatbelt on because some of you are going to feel like I'm messing with your theology. Like, what's an unbelieving believer? Well, I need you to think about it with me. And I don't think it'll take you very long to come up with some examples in your life and in mine of folks who did at one time believe, but now something's crowded God out. Something's pushed him off the throne. They, they did believe, and now not so much. I, I liken this group to the prodigal son. I liken this group to those that are just sort of upset with God the Father because he's not working on their terms, and they've, they've, they've sort of lost interest, if not all-out hope. And they once believed, but now not so much. They're all about other things. They've gotten, and I, and I wonder, I wonder if the rapture had happened while that prodigal son is in the far country, like gambling it all in Vegas, you know, or whatever, um, whether he would have been left behind. That's really the crust of the matter right now. That's the clincher. That's, that's the issue because you have people in your life, as I have people in my life that are, are heavy on my heart because I know right now they're in the far country. They are unbelieving believers. They sort of have God on hold. Here's the question. Is God going to allow them to be a part of something that they're not currently believing in? They're love has gone lukewarm. There's too many verses in Scripture that would point to this being a legit category for, for me to ignore or deny. They, their love has gone lukewarm. Their light has gone, what? Hidden under a bushel. No, yes. Hidden under a bushel. No, yeah. Their salt has, what? Their salt has lost its flavor. So then what good is it? It will just be thrown out. It's the branch that's pruned away because it's not, not bearing any fruit. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to heaven. That's God's call. I'm saying it seems to me that they're in a risky place as to whether or not they'll be included in the rapture. That's the question that's before us. They're not living for that. They're not believing in that at this moment. And that, I think that's why those of us who are believing, that's why we're here, man. It's, it's to circle back with that friend or that loved one or that roommate or that classmate or that coworker and try and help fan the fire that is beginning to go out at a time where you don't want it going out, church. You don't want it going out now because that's what Hebrews chapter 3, verses 18 warns you of. Don't let it go out now. And that's what Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 warns of. Don't let it go out now because if you haven't gotten the point in Hebrews 3 and in Hebrews 4, then there's Hebrews 6 that's waiting for you in verse 6, Hebrews 6, 6. Watch that one and tell me that there isn't this cluster of folks that are now unbelieving in their belief. And if that isn't enough to sell the deal, then 2 Peter chapter 3 comes along. Hey, it happened to Israel. Don't let it happen to you. Well, you know, man, I'm under the new covenant and all. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Truly, I do. But listen, there's always conditions to every covenant. 
And the condition that's under our covenant, the new covenant of all that Christ has done for us. And I'm here, I'm here proclaiming you're saved by grace. I'm not talking about whether or not this group ends up in heaven. I think those of us who do, do by his mercy and grace. But you know what? There's conditions to this new covenant. And one of them is watch, therefore, and keep your lamps trimmed and you have a group of unbelieving believers that desperately right now need the prayers of this church thirdly here's another group they're going to miss out because they're believing unbelievers you have unbelieving unbelievers come on i stayed up till three in the morning working these out okay unbelieving believers and believing unbelievers who in the world is a believing unbeliever the ones who will be saved when after the rapture. They'll miss the rapture, but they will come to faith during the great tribulation, post-rapture. Read Revelation chapter 7. It's talking in verse 13 through verse 17 about those who are now believing who were once unbelieving. Now, if these are the groups that miss out on the rapture, we don't want to be in those groups. What group do we want to be in? Put the next slide up because that's our group, church, believing believers. Ding, 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 ding. That's exactly who in Scripture we're called to be. And throughout, if you haven't kind of woven this thread, gang, please get into God's Word in 2020 and realize how much He is calling for you and I to wake up to the times. Be awake. He's like, rise and wake. Don't be like those that are living in the darkness. Be engaged and be involved and be prayerful because, because why? Because, man, the globe is tense right now. And it's more tense now than it was when we were all gathered together praying for the tense globe in this room last weekend. The world is uneasy, man. And I'm just here lovingly to point you to Scripture and in doing so, I'd have to tell you, brace yourselves, it's going to get even worse. In fact, turn with me to Psalm 83. I want to show you a psalm of prophecy that really ties in to now where we'll go in our remaining time as to what's going to transpire, what's going to happen between now and the rapture and then immediately following the rapture. And in the middle of the book of Psalms, which is a, a, a worship, it's a worship book, man. It's a psalm book, right? We talked about it last weekend, that worship isn't worship until worship is what? Until it's warfare, that's right, until it's warfare, because, because the Lord would always put Willie out in front, and Nate, and Stassi, and Maddie Dub. It was the worship team that led Israel into battle, because that's where the war is won. Psalm 83 talks about that. It's a worship song written by Asaph. It says in verse 1, Don't keep silent, God. Don't hold your peace. Don't be still. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. Tell me if this doesn't sound pretty spot-on relevant to what you've seen transpire in the news and around the world, even this last week. Verse 3, they have taken crafty counsel against your people. They've consulted together against your sheltered ones, and they have said, look at this, verse 4, how prophetic. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation. 
Now, if, if, if somehow you're not aware, that is the entire agenda of the Iranian regime. It's all about wiping Israel off the map. Always has been, still is. Cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Like they just pulled that right out of Psalm 83 and made it their political talking point. Look at verse 5. For they have consulted together with one consent and they have formed a confederacy. I'm going to show you that in Scripture in just a minute. They formed a confederacy against you. The tents of Edom and Ishmaelites and the Moabites and Hagarites and Gabal and Ammon and Amalek and Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre and Assyria all joined with them and they have helped the children of Lot. Selah. Selah. Just soak that in. In the rest of chapter 83, you can read it for yourself. It's pretty much Asaph as the psalmist saying, get him, God. Defend Israel, God. Stand up. Deal with them. And, and gives a bunch of historical accounts of how God has dealt with them. So turn with me to Ezekiel 38. From Psalm 83, we're going to flip 83 on its head. From 83 to 38. From 83 to 38, and Ezekiel chapter 38 is this confederacy of the nations now that is being referred to and spoken of by the psalmist. In Ezekiel chapter 38, just a few, well, like about a quarter inch maybe from Psalms up towards the New Testament, you'll land upon the book of Ezekiel, after Isaiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations, Ezekiel chapter 38. You got it? Say, got it? Okay, here it is, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against them. Now, don't get lost. Don't get lost in the weeds. I'm going to pull you through this together. But here, suffice it to say, is that confederacy of nations, in addition to the ones mentioned in Psalm 83, which, this is fascinating, a lot of them mentioned in Psalm 83 now go missing in Ezekiel 38, as if something's taken place historically on the timeline between the prophecy of the nations that would come against Israel in Psalm 83, and now even a larger global confederacy that comes against Israel in Ezekiel chapter 38. Suffice it to say, there's some wars that are lined up, like the approach path at Lindbergh Field, at LAX. And there's probably a war that's gonna happen before the war that's gonna happen before the war that's gonna happen before the war that's gonna happen. And so here you have the mounting of these nations that are rising up together and um, the leader, this Gog character from this land of Magog, this prince of Rosh and Meshach and Tubal, and he's like, prophesy against them and say this. This is interesting. Thus says the Lord, verse 3, behold, I'm against you. You never want to hear that from God. I'm against you, O Gog the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around, which means they were heading one way, and now they've been yanked around, turned around. I'm going to put hooks into your jaw to turn you around, and I'm going to lead you out 
with all your army and all your horses and your horsemen, all splendidly clothed, great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. And here's that confederacy of nations, verse 5. Persia, anyone, anyone? Modern day Iran, in the news, day and night. Ethiopia, and that would be much more than just Ethiopia today. That would encompass a lot of the African continent, including the Sudan. And Libya, that's interesting, back in the news. Hasn't been around in the news since Gaddafi got hacked, but now it's here, it's back, and it's sort of making somewhat of a resurgence in the news these days. So that's, that's quite fascinating to find it on the list. They're all with them. Verse 5 says they're all with them. They've joined the team. They're wearing the same jersey, all of them, with shield and helmet. Here's some more. Verse 6, Gomer and all of its troops. The house of Togomar from the far north and all of its troops. Many people are with you. Now watch very carefully. Watch. Follow along. Verse 7, prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard not on guard, be a guard for them. That word guard is the word provider. Be their provision. Be their backing. Be their bank. Be a guard. Be a provider for them. And after many days, you will be visited. And in the latter days, you will come to, into the land of those who brought back from the sword and gathered from many peoples in the mountains of Israel which had long been desolate, and it had, right? I mean, if you know anything about history, Israel for ages sat desolate, which had a long, been long desolate and were brought out of the nations. And that's been this whole coming home movement of Jews from, 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 from Europe and, and, and from Africa. Last time I was at the Western Wall, there was close to 1,000 Ethiopian Jews singing worship songs in front of the Western Wall. They're coming back. They're all coming back. It was a desolate land, but the people are all, look at this prophecy being fulfilled. In our very lifetime, we've seen this be fulfilled. They're all returning. They're all, they're all coming back. You be a guard. You be a guard for them. You bring your army and this company of nations against Israel, this land that was desolate, these people that were on the mountains long been desolate, they were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely. And you, verse 9, will ascend into that safe land, into the safe land of Israel, into what Ezekiel had earlier called a valley of dry bones that have now come back to life. You'll, you, will, you, will, you will come upon them, you will ascend and come on them, verse 9, like a what? storm covering the land like a cloud you and all your troops and as many people that are with you thus says the Lord God on that day it'll come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you'll make an evil plan okay this is fascinating watch where this goes follow with me verse 11 and you will say here's their evil plan I will go up against a land of unwalled villages and I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars or gates to take plunder and to take booty and to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods and who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, 
This is, um, these are a couple of additional characters now. now but they're bystanders, these additional characters. Verse 13, look at it. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish. Remember Tarshish? Who sailed to Tarshish? Anyone? Remember, he was supposed to go somewhere else, but he goes down to the port city of Joppa and he says, I want to catch a boat to Tarshish. That was Jonah. Remember? Jonah. So here, you've got Tarshish showing up. You've got, um, you've got Sheba. Remember the queen of, queen of Sheba? She was so enthralled and, uh, and amazed and marveled at the success and devotion of Solomon in all that he had built for the God of Israel. So, so, so suffice it to say, you have Sheba and Dedan. These are Arabian nations. This is Saudi Arabia. These are the Arabian surrounding nations. Suffice it to say, and as far as even into the Tarshish, which some would say when Jonah got on that boat, he wanted to sail west as far as west would take him. Some people at that time were, are, 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 are very myopic and limited in their scope of what that meant. And I've been to the island of Cyprus a dozen times, and some think that that's where Tarshish was located, just off the coast there at Cyprus. Some think it's as far west as, as Spain. But here you have a bunch of additional nations that aren't engaging, they're not surrounding, they're not getting involved, they're inquiring, they're questioning. They're saying, look at their question, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, and to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Is this what's going down? Is this what you're doing? They're reporting and inquiring and wondering what's happening. Therefore, therefore, son of man, verse 14, Prophesy and say to God, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north. Now that's pretty fascinating. You could go home and do like a little geography lesson with your kids. Get out a globe and, and put a piece of yarn on it. Put a piece of string on Jerusalem and then just carry it up north, like up to the North Pole, and you will run beeline directly through what? Russia. You who have come from the far north, you and many peoples who are with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army, you will come up against my people, God says, verse 16, my people, Israel, like a cloud, to cover the land, and it will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. You're going to come, but you're not going to win. And you're going to marvel at me who delivers my people and wins the war. Thus says the Lord God. Verse 17, Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophet Israel, who prophesied for years that those days that I would bring you against them. And it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face 
So you've got some skirmishes going on on the globe right now that are going to lead to some bigger skirmishes on the globe that are going to lead to some bigger skirmishes according to Psalm 83, which are going to lead to some bigger skirmishes according to Psalm uh, according to Ezekiel 38, which are going to lead to some bigger skirmishes according to the book of Revelation, which is the great battle of Armageddon, that ultimately God steps in with fury on his, look at verse 18, on his face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken, surely in that day there will be a great earthquake. There was one in Tehran this week, almost 5.0 on the Richter scale almost centered at their nuclear plants. Earthquakes will increase. Here's a great one that comes in Ezekiel 38, verse 19. And it will come to the land of Israel so that the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the field and the creeping things that creep on the earth and the, and, and, and the men all on their face will shake at my presence. In other words, I'm the earthquake. Remember when he speaks to uh, Elijah and, and Elijah's like, man, I thought he was in the earthquake. No, he wasn't in the earthquake. Wasn't in the fire. Wasn't in the wind. He was in the, what? Anyone remember? A still small voice. But now, guess what? Guess what? That still small voice now into the age is the, what? Earthquake. That's going to cause everyone to fall to the ground. Verse 21, And I will call for the sword against Gog throughout all of my mountains, says the Lord God, and every man's sword against his brother. And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and with bloodshed, and I will rain down on him. I'm just reading this so you can choose which team you want to be on. You need to choose which team you're on. And, 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 and here, look who wins. And I will rain down on him and on his troops and on many people who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstone, fire brimstone, a little kind of microcosm of the entire book of Revelation right there for you. One more verse, verse 23. Thus, read it with me. Come on, read it out loud. I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and then they shall know that I, come on, am the Lord. Hallelujah. So, what's happening right now? All of the posturing on the planet is taking place. All of the nations are becoming engaged. All of them are deciding which team, getting involved. The posturing of the nations, it's the staging that's taking place on the planet, like the staging that would happen when you go to sell your home. The staging of the nations and the posturing for the end times. Now, what's interesting here in Ezekiel chapter 38, some things that I find pretty fascinating, let me just point out. Syria is not mentioned. You ought to find out why. Because there's a prophecy in the book of Isaiah you might want to find right around chapter 17 that it no longer will exist. So, looking for real estate? Probably not the place you want to invest. Syria's not mentioned. Lebanon's not mentioned. Jordan's not mentioned. Egypt's not mentioned. I don't know. Uh, can we just, res just kind of, well, we're just going to conclude that it's all a result of peace. Okay. Maybe. Maybe war. Something happens between Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38 because in Ezekiel 38, Israel is at peace. They don't even have bars on their windows anymore. You read it. 
and the nations that are immediately surrounding them, Syria being one that has been used mightily as a frontal or doorstep for Russia and Iran right on the back door of Israel is not even mentioned here in Ezekiel chapter 38. Are those nations on hold? Are those nations on standby? And let's just get back to the ones that are mentioned. This Gog. Who is this Gog? G-O-G. You know, there's no other Old Testament reference of Gog. Actually, there's one in Chronicles, but it's a name, and this isn't a name. This is more of a position than a person. This is a title. Probably the best way I could describe this title to you uh, in our vernacular would be czar. It would be someone who has both political power and military power. Iran doesn't have that. They have a military that they're hoping remains in sync and involved with the Ayatollah politically. In Russia, though, you have the combination of both. It's the old Russian Empire czar picture of a Gog who has complete and total dominance and control. In fact, Rosh here would be referring to Russia. Gog would be referring to the position of almighty power that rules over Rosh or Russia, that being the czar, or in our day and age, Vladimir Putin. In fact, you go further into what we have seen and find in verse 2 mentions like Meshach and Tubal, which would be Toblisk and Moscow, historically being referenced in this passage. What's fascinating is the confederacy that surrounds Gog, the Tsar, Rosh, Russia, uh, are all Islamic nations in this confederacy of nations. That's why I think Russia gets yanked into it. Somewhat reluctantly, there are some of the uh, previous USSR nations that were once a part of Russia, the Soviet Union, that are Muslim. Stephen Patterson can give you a great history lesson in all of those nations, but Russia as a whole, not Muslim, but hooks in the jaw pulled in to a Muslim confederacy with a czar who has all political and military power. Do you know how wealthy Putin is? He is the richest man in the world. Estimated now uh, at a wealth of $200 billion. Did you know that? That is more money than Gates and Bezos combined. And he becomes the provider or the provision of this confederacy of nations. He banks it. And Persia is mentioned first. And Persia certainly deserves to be mentioned first because they are as mean as a snake right now and looking for revenge. So Persia, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, Gomer, Gomer, well golly, what's that? That's, what's that? That's Turkey. Look what it says, verse six, Gomer and all its troops. Do you know that Turkey is the second strongest army currently in NATO? Presently, they are the second strongest army in NATO. 
So it makes sense. Scripture, once again, right? Accurate. Gomer and all its troops, second strongest army in NATO. And, 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 and Iran sort of leading the charge with all this. Russia reluctantly getting pulled into it with hooks in the jaw pulled down. I'll tell you why. I'll show you why. I, I, think, I think we know exactly why just based currently on what we're seeing take place in the news. But Iran's busting a hamstring right now. I mean, they're just, they're just picking mad. They're looking for revenge. They've done their um, $80 million ransom, right, to take out our president. That's what the bounty is on his head right now. And they want everyone to contribute. Because Donald J. Trump is in their way. And you have to come back to the perspective and context of where we're seeing the whole world become conditioned and taken into this narrative that ultimately shows us that what it's all about is Israel and Trump's in the way and Netanyahu is in the way. And what they want to do, according to Scripture, you and I read it, it's not my opinion, it's Scripture right there staring you in the face. They want to take Israel off the map at whatever cost. So the fever for impeachment, let's just put that in context for a second, it reached a whole new level the moment that the embassy was moved to Jerusalem. Because this is all about Israel. Please, this, this isn't an issue of left versus right, Democrat versus Republican. Don't, don't, don't miss the true heart. This, this is an issue of right versus wrong. This is an issue of light versus darkness. This is an issue of good versus evil. And we, we have seen evil go to a whole new low. I mean, when, when, when the liberals are disparaging the death of al-Baghdadi, when the liberals are disparaging the death of a man on the planet who has more blood on his hand than anyone else where American military is concerned, General Soleimani, when they are disparaging the deaths of men who taken off of the world's stage actually make the world safer, we've hit a, a whole new low. And it's interesting at the same time you're watching what's happening in Israel and right now, fascinating that in Israel they're lacking the ability to form a government. They're lacking the ability to come together. There's a vacuum in the leadership through the recent elections where Israeli government is concerned. Let me just sort of state the obvious. That provides an entry for who? For the Antichrist. For a world stage leader to step out and say, I, I'll, I'll, I'll solve all the problems for you. Now, put it into context and perspective because they have rejected the Messiah when the Messiah came and are now desperately looking for their Messiah to come. Sadly, they will pick the wrong one and they'll go for the Antichrist because he will promise to do what? To rebuild the temple. Now, if you look at the Temple Mount the way it sits right now, it is fascinating to me that there's room for the temple. In fact, lined up, if you've been there, you can stand exactly on the Mount of Olives where that discourse was being read and discussed to the disciples in, in Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25. And you lined it up with the golden gate, with the gate called beautiful, the gate that they would enter from the east into the temple mount. And you go through that gate onto the temple mount, and what are you looking at? Nothing. 
There's a big vacant lot waiting for a temple to be constructed that would line up directly with where the Golden Gate, where the, where the gate called Beautiful, which incidentally the Muslims, as many of you know, have walled up. We've looked at that in previous End Times updates. Suffice it to say, 1,200 Jews ventured up onto the Temple Mount over Hanukkah. 1,200 over Hanukkah. That's 40% more than the Hanukkah previous. Something's happening in Israel. Hearts are being stirred for what's happening next in Jerusalem. So what is happening next? What's next? What's next? When's it going to happen? Who's going to be involved? Where is it going to go down? What are we putting our hope in? And, and, and I would just wrap our message up and our time together by saying our hope together has to be in one place and one place only. It has to be in the Lord. It has to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope has to be in God, church. What do I mean by that? It can't be in the United States. The United States isn't even showing up in end time scripture. I'm hoping that's because the rapture takes more than a dent out of this nation. That there would be in these last days a great revival and those who still might find themselves in an unbelieving believer's camp would be enticed and encouraged and led and invited and brought to become believing believers that our hope is not in the U.S., it's in Jesus Christ. It's not in a president, it's in a savior. Our hope isn't even in today. Our hope is in eternity. So how will you vote? <laughs> oh, great, he's going to tell us how to vote, too. Um, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how not to vote. I'll tell you that as a Christian, what you can't vote for, as a Christian, you cannot place a vote against Israel. You can't do that. As a Christian, you can't place a vote against Israel, and you cannot place a vote against marriage. God instituted marriage. God's told us in his word, that nation is my nation. Those people are my people. So when you vote this year, you, you, you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, could not vote against Israel. You could not vote against marriage, and you could not vote against life. Vote your values as a follower, and then watch the news. Watch the news like the gas line off the coast of Haifa. It's called Leviathan, by the way. Jordan has just signed a $10 billion deal with the gas that'll be pumped to Jordan from Israel. And all Europe is now lining up saying, could we be the next customers? Now, who isn't going to stand for that competition? Do you know that 60% of Russia's GMP is the result of fuel, oil? And if now there is this new pipeline that's going to make Israel extremely in the last days wealthy as a nation in the Middle East, the nations that have been wealthy because of their oil, because of their exporting, aren't going to stand for it. And maybe that is the reluctant hook in the jaw that brings Russia into this end times battle with the confederacy of Islamic nations. That discovery off the coast of Haifa will make Israel wealthy, but it will also make them wanted. And the world will surround them to try and steal what they have and wipe them out. And they would. 
if the Lord Jesus Christ didn't step back in and save the day for Israel. Do you know that in the book of Deuteronomy, he promises that? Just like we wrapped up our time last weekend with the prophecy from Deuteronomy, I want to wrap up our time today with a similar promise. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy 4, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. You're not even at the 5,780th verse yet. And he says this. Look what he says. Would you read it with me? Come on, read it together. When you are in distress, stop right there. Stop right there. This word distress, did you get a good study Bible for Christmas? Look up that word. Literally, it's the word tribulation. When you are in tribulation, okay, read it with me. Read it out loud. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey His voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which He swore to them. Israel, according to God's Word, comes back. They come back to the Lord. Read Romans 11. Read what happens when the 144,000 in the book of Revelation go marching out in a message of evangelism that sweeps the planet during the Great Tribulation, during their distress, they will come back. The application for us, gang, for you and I, keep our eyes on Jesus. 2020 vision, looking unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when these things start happening, what's he say? Look up. For your redemption draweth nigh. Here's my application for an end times prophecy update. It's all about the oil. But not so much the oil off of Haifa, although that's going to factor in hugely where all these things find their place in the narrative of history. But let's end where we started. It's about the oil that's represented in Matthew 25 that we cannot allow to run dry in our lives or in our hearts. That is the presence and power and filling and anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Would you pray with me? Let's pray for that together. Lord, we, we are asking in these last days, whatever comes, whatever transpires, and every week things are getting dicey, Lord, we, we pray Fill us with your Holy Spirit. I, I pray you'd save those that are lost. There are those that are even here, Lord, in the sanctuary that have not bowed their heart to receive you as their Lord of Lords and their King of Kings. This message would just spark them to make that decision, Lord Jesus. As we bow before you right now, just with all the heads bowed and eyes closed, listen. Your only way out, there's not multiple ways, there's one way and it's Jesus Christ. Call on His name. Invite Him in to be your King, your Savior, your Master and your Lord. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you. 
and fill you with his Holy Spirit. Lord, would you fill us with the oil of joy, the oil of your presence. Fill us to overflowing and anoint us, Lord, to shine brightly for you in these dark days, in these last days. May our salt be saltier than it's ever been. May our love for you be hot and not cold, not lukewarm. And Lord, would you take all of these events and what the enemy is wanting to use for evil, would you use them for good and for glory even now in our hearts here and wherever we go this week, we commit it to you that you would use us to be your lights, to be your ambassadors, to be your witnesses, to share your love with San Diego until the trumpet sounds and we meet you as the believing believers that we are to spend forever in your presence. We, we love you and we thank you for your words spoken to us today and commit our lives to it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, let's stand. Let's sing together. God bless you. Thanks for joining the Horizon Church Podcast with Pastor Bob. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service. Or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org live every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.